Hello and welcome to the Ballot Box global election coverage from a team of political scientists. I'm Jonathan Parker in London. I'm Chris Terry in Manchester. I'm Andres Besser in New York City. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Ballot Box. Today we're going to talk about Quebec. We're also going to talk very briefly about the, the Brazilian election. The, the, the Quebecois election happened on the 3rd of October and it saw another landslide victory for the CAQ party of Premier Francois Legault. Legault came to power in 2018, leading the first government, not of the Liberals or PQ since the 1960s. He represents a departure in Quebecois politics from the sovereignty federalism divide, which is a theme that I think um, is, is kind of crucial to understand Quebecois and then uh, kind of in, a, in a way Canadian politics in general. The size of the CAQ victory was magnified by the vote splitting of the opposition, with four other parties getting between 10 and 50 percent of the vote. So it's going to be an interesting election about an interesting region in a really large country. But we've, before we get into uh, this election, um, let's let's see how how Johnny and Chris are doing. So Johnny, are you still in Glasgow? How's how's teaching going? How's the job? How's how's living in Scotland? Yeah, teaching Scotland's really good. I'm discovering the full extent of Glasgow's raininess um in general this week but yeah it is unfortunately when i was down in london last weekend i um invested in a new raincoat so i've been um i've been thoroughly protected from from the scottish rains um but yeah all good all good affair great have you already assigned uh, mandatory episodes of our podcast for your students no unfortunately i have not thought to I have not thought to version them with the podcast at this point. Struggling <laughs> for listeners, I can uh, I can start making them listen to it. Okay, uh, great. This is this I is mean, the difference between political science and, I don't, and, I, and a business. I don't, I don't, don't think any lecturer can make undergrads do anything. Uh, <laughs> of course not. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's true. In the US, there's so much talk about teachers being indoctrinators when we can't even get. Them yeah, no, it's always it always makes me laugh when people start talking about lecturers who like university lecturers indoctrinating their students because, like, I mean, like most lecturers I talk to are like, I can't even make my students hand in their work on time, let alone like <laughs> turn up to seminars and talk or anything and like that. sent them up there anyway. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to indoctrinate people who aren't in the room most of the time. <laughs> you see, um, there's no reason you should have done address, but there's, uh, our university's minister has made a uh, speech this week, in which she's um, she 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 attacked the uh, the the free speech um, the, the sort of clampdown in our universities um, and the all the people that are taking Harry Potter degrees, as she put it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so real degree that definitely exists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Harry, Potter, Harry, Harry Potter degrees in the sense of like learning magic or or ways what? Harry Potter studies is what she said. Oh, yeah. Okay. More people are taking degrees in Harry Potter than was it construction or something like that or engineering or something. Yeah, uh, it was yes a real display of uh, competence and intelligence from the person <laughs> in charge of higher education institutions. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> um, and and Chris, how's everything going in London? And uh, sorry, in Manchester. Why, why do I keep? Yeah, I don't, don't, don't live in London. Many years. Not. You haven't lived there for a while. You haven't lived there for years. Sorry, yeah, Manchester. Yeah. No, and the cats. How are the cats? Yeah, they're, they're they're very well. Um, things are good. Um, we're having a lot of work done on our house right now to pump up its house price to even more ridiculous sizes. <laughs> um, yeah, we're good. Um, yeah, do the cats people. do the cats now? I mean, I've been like I've been experiencing the full extremes of Manchester's weather lately as well. So, um, so yeah, it's all be good. Good. Mm-hmm. Everything sounds. And how are you well. doing? All's good. All's good. Yeah, um, having a great time and and just working through the semester. It's it's been it's been it's been all right. I'm happy, and there's still there's still it's it's also I'm also glad that. It feels like the semester's already advanced a lot, but it actually hasn't. So that's great for me. It means they still have uh, lots of time to f- to fulfill deadlines and stuff, <laughs> which is good. Wow. Before we get into the election in in Quebec, it's I think it's it it behooves us to talk about the very important election that happened in Brazil. Now you will have noticed if you had Brazilian friends or people interested in democracy all around. 
They were glued to their computer screen, I guess, or their social media on October 2nd, when Brazil had its first round of presidential elections. Now, it was widely reported, it was widely reported that, Luke, that, that Lula might win in the first round, might. And I think it got confused. The narrative was a little bit too hopeful, I think. Um, because yeah. Bolsonaro is, you know, he's he's quite, you know, he's quite, uh, he's thrown a monkey wrench into the political system in Brazil, and 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 you know has even threatened with kind of not recognizing the results of elections. So he's he's an authoritarian figure. Um, but Lula actually fell short of of winning the fifty percent plus one that he required to win outright in the first round, and I think Bolsonaro actually did surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. Far yes, better did. than what uh, polls he, he did do predicted. better than polls did. Although people have confused he, people have confused this as well. Um, Lula actually did broadly in line with what his polling mm-hmm. suggested, uh, um, and and was ultimately only about one and a half percentage points off winning in the first round. So it was close. So like saying that he might have won in the first round, I think still justified. But yes, a lot of right. people made it sound too too certain. But it was Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro exceeded his his polling, and it was the it was the other candidates who who um, who underperformed their polling. Right. So it was within mm. the margin of error of the projections that yeah, Lula exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and he so that was in line with his projections. But Bolsonaro did much much better than expected with yeah, exactly. the vote, yeah. which does not which does not bode well for the second round. I mean, it makes the second round much more, I think, uh, of a nail biter because mm-hmm. it means that Lula doesn't have uh, s- such a large, I mean, that Bolsonaro doesn't have such a small uh, floor, right? He's got a pretty floor, big floor to be. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But we're not actually going to talk about Brazil today. Um, we're going to leave that for a subsequent episode when yes. we analyze the first round looking towards the runoff um, and, and in preparation for that all important runoff in Brazil. Yeah. So yeah, we will we'll get to that one pretty soon. Just trying to uh, secure a uh, a knowledgeable guest for that one. Um, and also, we do should make you aware the um, there was a lot of other big elections last weekend as well. So we will also be covering the uh, Latvian um, contest. The the um, well, not not as important as Brazil that, but still we were kind no, of no, <laughs> no no not with the same global election implications, but uh, um, still a very uh, interesting election. Also Bulgaria again. Bulgaria heard our comment a couple of months ago that uh, a couple about a month ago that we'd actually done more episodes on France and B- Bulgaria. <laughs> Bulgaria's come back with a vengeance <laughs> to try and retake its crown. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, a bit, lots lots to come, um, but for today, um, we'll focus on Quebec and uh, and have a, and a return to Canada. Um, it's been a it's been a it's been a little bit. I think there was, there was a stage last year where we were doing a lot of Canada. Um, but it's been a few months again now. Um, but yeah, and obviously it's one of one of Canada's more distinctive political environments. Um, yeah, you're saying a lot for Canada because all the provinces are quite distinguished from each other. But this one really is um, really is quite different um, than kind of federal level politics. Yeah, I think it's the, the state with the most distinctive party system, which mm. as we get into it, will make immediate sense as to why that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, so, mm. so kind of some summarizing why this election was important or what what were the most important parts of the election what would you guys how would you guys summarize it I, I know I kind of already did that but just to remind the audience well it's been like the complete sidelining of the two large the what have been the two um, major parties for the past mm. 40 50 years um have both won about 14 percent each um from being like the two sort of pillars of a two-party system um and also that this represents a bit more in the way of kind of political stability for Quebec after a sort of decade or so of, of kind of chopping and changing governments quite a lot um this is uh, the first time someone's won a second uh term in quite a bit um some paradigms mm. Yeah, that's yeah. important things. Yeah, yeah, and and the CAC is now looking extremely dominant, um, <laughs> and we also have the establishment of a new party into Quebec's um, yeah. 
slightly complex party system, which um, seems to have emerged because the the um, Conservative Party, which um, previously had been something of a non-entity in Quebec, has now basically, in popular vote terms, has has really surged up things. In seat terms, not so much, but in, in vote terms. It, um, it's it's clearly very much a party on the rise. This was such a first past the post result, um, which we'll get into later. The the, mm. the, the C totals bear so little resemblance to the vote totals. Um, yeah, so yeah. We can get into it in a bit or quite why that is. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So actually, maybe that that's a good transition actually to the constitutional setup of 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 Quebec. Why? Mm. Um. Does does the does the do the electoral rules uh, look like the sort of thing that you would expect from a former French colony? Take the constitution stuff, Chris. Your beat. <laughs> um, the constitution. No, the, the constitution does not look like um, anything French. It looks like something British because <laughs> um, ultimately. It's part of Canada, and most most Canadian electoral rules are modelled on the UK, rather than on uh, rather than elsewhere. There are bits and pieces of how things are done in Quebec, which are clearly modelled in France. So, for example, Quebec has um, a law system which is modelled on the French legal system, um, as opposed to the rest of Canada, which has a kind of common law legal system, and that's, for example, why part of why Quebec is overrepresented on the um, Supreme Court of Canada, because there could be a clash between those two legal systems. Um, but but this is fundamentally a Westminster system. It's um, first past the post, 108 um, constituencies, um, single member districts, plurality winner, you know, uh, kind of classic um, constitutional design, parliamentary, um system uh no direct elections to uh, or anything like that um yeah and just camera yeah. legislature as well i guess unicamera, unicamera legislature yeah, the um, now, um which to which you think is very telling that they've gone that this name has been suggested a very much a mission statement um mm. about quebec and how the um how how they kind of well, especially how the government at the time that the name change happened wanted to portray Quebec, um, didn't they? Uh, yeah, but yeah. So very standard Westminster system, generally, really. Um, despite yeah. speaking one, I always want them to really think that they should just uh, go for the go for a double ballot and stuff and <laughs> try and make themselves as French as possible. But no, it's. <laughs> They're yeah. British. Yeah, in the past, there has a key occasional pressure to change to like a PR system, um, particularly around the time of the, I think it was the 1998 election, which, um, yeah, which saw the block, saw the party Quebecois, I should say, um, win despite having won fewer votes mm. than um, the, um, the um, Liberal Party. Um, so that that caused some pressure for change, and there was yeah. were discussions around that time. Well, there was and, supposed to be a referendum held alongside this one on mm. change to a kind of um, MMP ish type thing, um, but that was uh, that was cancelled supposedly because of the pandemic. But I think mm. it's the kind of thing that we see often within in different places in Canada, but also in just Westminster systems in general when parties put electoral reform on their manifesto that they um, Mm. tend to want to sort of shy away from it. Um, Yeah, there was an interesting moment around this around the last election where basically all the opposition parties... So at the last election, the Liberal Party was still in power Mm. um, before the election election happened. And And all the opposition parties signed up to a common agreement that if they won a majority they would um they would introduce pr and then um and i think this was in part an attempt by the opposition parties to tie the cap into that promise because they felt that the cac would was very likely to win a win a majority and then the cac won a big majority 
and then suddenly became they became much less interested in the promise that they'd made um which is is not surprising or typical and it's basically typical behavior yeah. um and, and in fact it was, in fact it was supposed to be introducing pr without a referendum that was what they actually all signed up to um it was supposed to be that there was just being passed through the legislature um so even the referendum was really going back on at least bits of their promise um but yeah i mean i'm not surprised i mean at the time that of the last election i was still working for my former employer the electoral form society and the uk pro pr um campaign and i was uh, and I was asked to by my boss to just write some notes up on like the state of things in Canada. When I got to Quebec, I did note this down and just basically said, "Yeah, if the CAC actually, when they get into power, implement PR, I'll be very surprised." <laughs> and no, no, that is what happened. Yeah, because last time they won a majority on about. 37% of the vote or something like that mm. doesn't really give you that much of an incentive to to sort of give away yeah, a pretty big one too um, mm. it wasn't a small majority by any means yeah. um, because yeah Quebec has quite a fragmented party system for um, 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 for a, a system like this and that doesn't particularly gel with having first representation uh, that doesn't particularly gel with having first past the post but it's really good if you're the biggest party because it means mm-hmm. you can win or uh, oh, win yeah. quite big majorities and quite low votes mm-hmm. um, yeah definitely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean the, the dilemma is this is a winner take all system and so the the in a way, the winner of the system has to then dismantle it if you want electoral reform. It's kind of yeah, it's yeah, it's, that's a kind of yeah, that's a kind of classic first part of problem. Yeah. Problem. Yeah, exactly. Um like yeah. electoral reform problem, at least, you know, in any system, not just yeah, not just first part of but in any system, ultimately, whoever has one power under a system has yeah. has at least to some extent benefited from that system yeah. <laughs> um, or else they wouldn't be in power <laughs> exactly. um, um, so yeah it all is totally um so that's the that's the constitutional setup um which which seems to be fairly the constitution the, the, the electoral rules seem to be quite similar to other canadian provinces but the politics of quebec are very different right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in, in what way are they different or what are the roots of this sort of difference? Well, I mean, partially that it's Canada's only majority francophone province. Um, almost 80% of the population have uh, French as their first language. Um, more will speak it as well. Um, although there is a sort of small but stable a sort of English-speaking minority, which is mainly concentrated in Montreal, um, and this will be significant later when we talk about the results um, as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the most significant divide since the 60s, 70s has been this idea about whether Quebec should remain in the Canadian Federation or should constitute an independent state, which is some in some way, usually phrases being in some way sort of associated with the rest of Canada still, um, you know, in the referendums it's put down as like sovereignty association or something like that. Mm. Um, so they might have the idea of having some kind of still uh, some kind of close cooperation with Canada, but but becoming a yeah. sharing the sharing the currency or something like along those yeah. lines. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so this was so before the 60s, Canada was known, Quebec was known as being very conservative, Catholic kind of uh, region. There was this party known as the Union Nationale, which was a very kind of uh, sort of staunchly conservative kind of moderately kind of autonomous party, which kind of dominated the province. Um, the While the majority of people spoke French, the sort of all the elites, um, business and 
um, sort of political and stuff were predominantly English speaking, especially from that kind of Montreal area. And this was um, obviously kind of source of tension um, as well. And this especially happened in the 60s because then we have something called the Quiet Revolution that Quebec goes through, which is a sort of major sort of secularization of Quebec society and a much more kind of solidifying of the idea of a, of a Quebec national identity rather than just being kind of uh, French Canadians um, kind of comes up. Um, and this, this is sort of in turn leads to the kind of demise of uh, Union Nationale and the rise of this two-party system where on the one hand you had the Quebec Liberal Party and which was, although was, had sort of phases where it was quite kind of nationalist was fundamentally for Quebec remaining in the Canadian Confederation. And on the other hand, the Parti Quebecois, which was a, uh, a split off from the, it was founded by a former Liberal minister, which has sort of adopted a more kind of uh, leftist sort of social democratic kind of um, rhetoric and also tried to push for um, independence or the sovereignty as it's known in the, in the Quebec context. And so these two parties were sort of the it, sort of swapping power for quite a, for a number of years. The, there were two independence referendums held, one in the one in 80, 80, uh, 1980, and then one in nineteen was it nineteen ninety four? Chris, do you remember off the top of your head? Yes. Uh, yes. 94. Yeah, the eighty, the nineteen eighty one, which was quite decisively defeated. The ninety four one. Um, lost by about 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6% of the vote. That's um, 95. Oh, sorry, 95. <laughs> 95. 95. Oh, yeah, 95. I said, I said won- that with so much confidence. I was sure it was 94, sorry. <laughs> 94, mm. they won the general election, I think. The, the mm. Yeah, and then they came in 95 and held the referendum. Yeah, so they, they won, uh, it was lost by the tiniest of margins. Um, and this was a, well, in in hand for a long time we still talked about like oh there's probably going to be another one and uh, stuff like that but mm. this gradually seemed to have faded from the scene actually ended up turning out in hindsight to be the kind of high point of the um of the kind of sovereignty movement it never really has come this close to depressing it and actually we've seen in the last couple of decades that there's been a kind of drop in support as well for probably for the for the idea of sovereignty um mm. The Canadian governments, I think, have done a, a fairly good job of trying to accommodate Quebecois interests within the Canadian uh, Confederation, um, actually, especially com- compared to other sort of similar cases around the world. Uh, here's looking at you, Spanish government. Um, but in general, like, yeah, they are doing pretty good. I mean, we've, we've kind of had steps to recognise uh, Quebec as a sort of distinct nation within Canada. Uh, there's been um, uh, sort of attempts at giving, allowing Quebec to kind of opt out of a lot of stuff that the other provinces do together and gives gain some more autonomy, which makes the, I think they sort of uh, makes the Canadian sort of federal system at least informally asymmetric. That Quebec probably does its own stuff a little bit more. So uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It has become a kind of a little bit more kind of autonomous and yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, and I think as well like. Uh, so a big theme in the 80s was like trying to change the constitution to kind of and that that kind of ran aground twice because changing the canadian constitution Mm -hmm. is ludicrously difficult Mm -hmm. and so they've stopped trying to do that kind of stuff which just seems to create conflict between quebec and the rest of the provinces um they've kind of done stuff that is kind of more in law but at the same time also introduced the clarity act you was going to mention which, yes it's an important thing as well yes, yeah which which basically raises the bar on what mm-hmm. would be a kind of successful quebec referendum and makes things a little bit more difficult so at the same time at the same time they haven't shut down the possibility of another referendum which i think is very important but they've made it clear that it's harder than it was to yeah get a referendum uh, to get a, a past referendum so it is more difficult yeah i wonder whether there's any other cases where such a device might be useful i mean i don't know <laughs> I don't think yeah. <laughs> the, um, but also i think so. <laughs> anywhere close to the home at the moment yeah. <laughs> 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 a, lot, a 
a lot of the other goals mm. of the mm. Quebec nationalist movement, the Quebec nationalist movement as well, have in some ways been met, which has also helped, I think, in this, in terms of like the status of French was massively, um, massively reinforced through this thing called Bill 101, which is somewhat controversial in, in Canada, um, but was designed to sort of, um, sort of enforce the kind of use of French in um, sort of public life, in the business sector and in administration and uh, make it uh, kind of preferential over English, um, which is all part of the thing that, that there was a, a lot of concern in a Quebec society in the 60s that with d- declining birth rates after kind of secularization, that the there was going to be some kind of demographic collapse of the, the French speaking population because French was not able to attract new immigrants that came into Quebec mm-hmm. were not transitioning to French. They were picking up English instead because French didn't have much prestige and wasn't useful for business, et cetera. So they was kind of worried that, that this was the, the status of French was, was long-term threatened and bill 101, although it's not been as successful as its founders, as its sort of makers uh, and quite anticipated has done quite a lot to enforce the status of French as the kind of dominant language in uh, in Quebec um, as well. Uh, mm. So, yeah, I think some of the sort of sting has been taken out of it. And as I say, there's a lot of been done to make sure that Quebec's interests are met quite, quite well in, in Canada generally, um, which is tends to sort of mean that while there certainly is still a sizable body of people in Quebec that are supportive of the idea of sovereignty they no longer constitute like close to half as they used to do in the in the 90s um it's now probably more about i think more in the sort of 30 percent range when you poll it um these days um would would want that and certainly nobody's really talking about having a another referendum in very soon or anything even the the really sovereignist parties don't really seem to advocate having one um immediately as was the case uh, previously, the Party of Quebec are used to going to elections saying that, like, if they got a majority again, they would have another referendum like the next year and stuff. I mean, even they don't put that in the in in platforms anymore. Um, it's kind of gone. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's it's kind of been kind of been fading a bit. But yeah, then obviously, as we'll see from the last couple of elections, that the sort of uh, that divide going away has also seem to have caused a bit of a realignment in the party system as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. All right. Is there anything else that you think the, the that's interesting about this, sort of the roots of the distinct political culture and, and, and political environment in which these elections were held? I mean, I think it's worth saying kind of briefly that, I mean, I don't want to get into the, like the full history of Quebec, but um, like Quebec has always been distinctive in its way and has, has struggled with um, with English-speaking Canada to some extent. So uh, when you're talking about, um, say, for example, like there was a crisis during World War One over a disagreement about um, about conscription, as I recall correctly, um, there was a um, there have been disagree. You know, there have been points where Quebec was electing um, people from various different parties before kind of even kind of pro sovereignty kind of arose that were kind of distinctive to Quebec, um, like a social. There was a kind of social credit movement that kind of split off in Quebec. I don't think we have time to get into what the hell social credit is right now. No, we don't at all have the time to get into the social. Into social Maybe we should do a thematic episode on social credit parties at some point. I do. I mean, that would be a short episode, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it just existed in two countries. Um, but yeah, there were kind of interesting things that are kind of. But yeah, there's a long history of Quebec making it sort of self-distinctive and at the federal level as well there's kind of been this sense that Quebec has tended to be a kind of mass fire of parties at times um kind of in the way that Scotland uh, has has been in, in the past it's like which party kind of most represents Quebec at any given moment is a, is a theme in kind of Quebec politics so for a long 
for for a long time, it's often been the Liberal Party um, because the Liberal Party has often had a French language speaking elite. Um, I mean, the current Prime Minister and uh, and his um, very famous father um, are both Quebecers. Um, ultimately, although I don't, um, think, I don't think the current Trudeau really reads as that though, especially to foreign audiences. No, no, really? no, and and, yeah. and and actually, there are, have been some comments, from what I understand, that the way that Trudeau speaks French is suggestive of someone who. Um, how should I put this lightly? Um, perhaps learned his French in a private school and hasn't actually um, spoken French currently um, as a kind of default. Um, yes. I think the sense that I is is like I, I might be kind of misreading things there because I'm basically reading between the lines of what um, people more familiar with Quebec than me have told me. But like, yeah, and obviously I don't speak French, so I I can't tell you how he how he speaks French. But um, that's kind of what I picked up. Um, but yeah, it, uh, but the fact the fact of the matter is he's still a Quebecer, and I think that still has is one of the reasons why the Liberals are, are currently dominant in Quebec at the federal level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, obviously yeah, then there was a period in the 80s where the the progressive conservatives were dominant in Quebec because they had a Quebec-born leader and he kind of really tried to put kind of a kind of Quebec soft nationalism in the heart of his um, platform and then the Bloc Québécois as well obviously and then when that fell I mean the NDP because under Jack Layton came in because um, Jack Layton had a, had, had um, connections to Quebec and spoke really good French. Uh, so you can just see this kind of process of uh, every time I kind of, like Quebec often at the federal level votes en masse for a party, um, but it's always the one that seems to be kind of representing it the best mm. on a kind of national level rather than something to do with its demographics or, um, or beyond that. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we've kind of already gone into some of the the parties kind of uh in a kind of abstract way but i think it, it's still worthwhile to kind of understand a little bit more about the the parties so for example mm-hmm. we, we could start out with the conservative with the with the with, with the party that i had called the caq but uh chris and johnny have have correctly uh noted is the cac right yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. They they do this. So this is a Quebec thing, and then you have a little name for the um, the supporters based on the initials. I think you're supposed to call it like Kekists or something for the. Yeah, and and similarly, um, PQ supporters, uh, Parti Québécois supporters, are known as um, Pequists. Um, uh, I might be I might be <laughs> pronouncing that wrong. But, um, yeah, yeah, please it's ignore me for me. It's definitely, definitely a thing. So, yeah, um, but yeah, I definitely think, yeah, I mean, this is it's it's kind of antecedent, I guess, is this um, other thing, Action Democratique um, de Quebec and ADQ, which was kind of big in the sort of 2000s and had this brief breakaway breakthrough in 2007 election, um, where it came second, which was a kind of it was in a, it was a sort of a nationalist party, but it wasn't really big on sovereignty and it had a kind of centre-right positioning. Um, and the ADQ had this moment of kind of where it sort of looked like it was going to be a big thing and then it kind of collapsed. Um, and its members sort of folded themselves into the CAC, which um, Francois Legault, who was a former, another former cabinet minister, has founded his own party, um, as to be a... Yeah, basically, it was going to be a centre-right party, um, was going to be more free market than the PQ. It wasn't going to focus on uh, sovereignty in the same way. Um, in fact, he was like, well, we're, we're, we're sideline the referendum. We're very strongly uh, kind of supportive of protecting Quebec autonomy and culture and stuff, but we are not going to be... Um, we're not going to be pushing for a um, for a, another referendum or anything, um, at least anytime soon. Um, so yeah, this is this party's come from. I mean, it first debuted in the like 2012 election um, and 
became the kind of third party, uh, which it sort of maintained in the in the 2014 election as well. But then, yeah, it was uh, 2018. It kind of came up from behind and uh, took power. Um, took power. It was about 37 percent of the vote with that because everything was so divided. Uh, gained it a majority um, there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning as well that um, it's a very personalist party. Um, it's founded around um, François Legault. He's a former um, party Quebecois cabinet minister. Um, he's a he, you know, very popular, charismatic figure. His party has sometimes been characterised as not having very clear policies, or a bit, a bit being kind of personality focused around him like I remember during the 2018 election there was a lot of muttering about like what his actual ideological position was because you know is it a centrist party is it a centre-right party is it uh, yeah. um, I think it basically yeah. Yeah, basically he goes after the median voter a lot I think is yeah, quite yeah. um yeah which is this is the whole thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, so, and some people might be like a little like it's worth saying as well that a lot of people might be used to the idea of the party Quebecois being characterized as left-wing or center-left and there was a little bit of that in its history um the party had very close relationships it has had very close relationships in the past with trade unions for instance um but but um lots of but the party has always had um people who are centrist or center-right in it it's uh, yeah. it's a party that is fundamentally first and foremost existentially nationalist that is dedicated to the idea of the quebec nation above all else um yeah uh, the bloc quebecois its federal partner was um was founded by someone who was a former um progressive conservative cabinet minister and who ended up being um a party quebecois um premier of quebec as well so like um so it's not the case that um you can't be center right in the party quebecois and it and the same true with the liberal party either which has typically been considered center right in quebec kind of these are median values but they're not ultimately what separates the parties yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah as i say it's been Kind of culturally quite nationalist over the last term, um, especially. Um, so they introduced this thing, Bill 96, um, which has kind of come up, mm. which reinforced Bill 101 um, and uh, make it even, even more kind of stringent measures to protect the French language, um, uh, which included kind of measures to encourage, among other things, to encourage um, Anglophones to attend uh, Francophone schools and things, which is really, really popular among Francophones in Quebec, but really, really disliked among um, uh, among Anglophones and also among kind of speakers of Indigenous languages as well. Um, but yeah, and this has been challenged in courts actually as well, but it's, it's kind of formed a core, a, a core plank of this idea. It's, it's a very kind of cultural nationalism, cultural mm. conservative, but... Um, not fundamentally doing anything to challenge the um, the kind of yeah. integrity of Canada um, in any way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. No, it's a party that's basically parking the idea of like the federal mm. um, sovereignty distinction, but it has it is still kind of a soft nationalist party. Um, yeah. No yeah. interest in a referendum. Yeah, in his like um, victory speech, like Legault was like. Um, very emphatically saying about how Quebec was this great nation and things. And it, it, it very much, yeah, it's clearly like not arguing with the idea that Quebec is, is a nation that has rights of its own and stuff. And, um, but is, yeah, not, not too concerned with the, with being outside of Canada um, and that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Nationalist, but not separatist. Yeah. Probably a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think would th- would those be all the important parties? Or are we still missing? Um... Well, we're missing Quebec Solidaire. Um, mm. I think is is becoming increasingly important. Um, it's pretty left wing party for um, Canadian standards. Actually, um, is I guess kind of eco socialist. It's also like pro sovereignty, mm. but is not. 
it's not like emphatically part of the program. I wouldn't say um, would support this, but it's not like it's not like the PQ. It's not. Um, yeah. Not, not so, yeah. So I think some of its more sovereigntist elements mm. were kind of on display in this election campaign, actually. Mm. So there was a moment. So there was a there's a debate that had been unfolding, from what I understand. And I, I should have read up on this beforehand, so I, I might might misspeak a little bit. But there was a, there's been an argument going on in Quebec about like the in what situations it is appropriate to use the N word, <laughs> um, which yeah, not a debate that I'm fond of <laughs> happening. And um, this is to some extent divided the English-speaking and French-speaking um, population um, because of, like, different cultural associations and so on and so forth. And um, um, Quebec, this, this came up in one of the election debates and one of the Quebec Solidaire leaders was asked about, um, as I understand it, I might get this a little bit wrong, was asked about a book from the famous book from the 60s which has the N-word in its title, um, which basically compare, compares, refers to, if I recall correctly, refers to Quebec as the, Quebec is as the N-word of Canada. <laughs> um, um, and whether he, he um, would like to see that, um, whether he disapproved of that book. And he said, no, everyone should read it. <laughs> so yeah, that, yeah, that, that I think demonstrates. Although there were there were obviously cultural subtleties there, and I don't want to like pretend that it's like a cut and dried thing, but obviously there, that 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 is sinking in with um, Quebec nationalism to some extent. Hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah, but there's yeah, I mean, there's a party that's just grown away, grown quite a bit in the last few elections. I mean, it's now up to about fifteen percent the vote. It's actually the second largest party in terms of votes um, this election, um, gained about 11, 11 seats. Um, yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's some of its origins is weird. I mean, it's just, it started out as a coalition of several different parties, but some of its origins are quite strange in that part of it is from the Quebec branch of the NDP that kind of went a bit rogue at one point and sort of transformed itself into a, a sort of sovereignist party and left the NDP. Um, the NDP has always struggled to establish a... A provincial level branch in Canada. It's basically the only province that I mean doesn't really have a, them um, as any kind of force um, at all. Um, but yeah, so there's Quebec still there, and yeah, I think we made the other one that we haven't mentioned too much is the Conservatives, which have made a bit of a made a bit of a splash this time, I guess. Um, which, as Chris said before, incredibly marginal before now. They. Uh, elected some this uh, guy, Eric Dow Duhaim, who, uh, apologies if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, um, who was a journalist, been advisor to various political leaders, um, so kind of right-wing political leaders, and they had this uh, quite a, I suppose, sort of libertarian-type uh, message in the, in the campaign. Um, uh. Started polling super well. Um uh, yeah, unless that hasn't uh, translated into seats for them, but because uh, they only got one, but they did poll to about twelve percent, which is not bad, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although not as well as their polling suggested. No, no. The, the the polling before the election even suggested that they would come second in terms of votes. Albeit there was also a lot of um, expectation that if they did that, they would perform very badly on seats and maybe get single digits because although I understand it, the Conservative Party's vote is very spread out, um, which <laughs> in a situation where where CAC also has a very spread out vote, <laughs> um, um, but a much higher very spread out vote <laughs> um, means that you're, it's very difficult to win seats. Yeah. Um, in a plurality system. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Quebec Solidar is, well, 
yeah, I, I can understand why it was important to talk about it because it, it 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 didn't do it did actually quite well um, compared to yeah, I mean it actually came second in terms of votes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Okay, all right. Do you guys want to talk about the the campaign? Yeah, I mean it wasn't anything that has. So, so we've probably known for basically almost the entire term. That I think there was a bit of a wobble in his polling earlier in this year, but for the most part, the CAC has been way, way ahead, like the, yeah, yeah. the term. Um, and yeah, this seemed a pretty foregone conclusion, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, partly because he was in charge through the pandemic and was on TV a lot as we've discussed in many other cases and became a bit of a, uh, a kind of reassuring figure, I guess, for people they, they employed, I think, with a fairly strict kind of uh, policy. They did vaccine passports and stuff as well, which I've seen some places controversial, but seemed to go down pretty well among voters in, in, in Quebec. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, the, the campaign was fairly uneventful, but Legault, um, they they pivoted to being a kind of moderately anti-immigration stance, and he made mm. on several occasions some fairly controversial comments, um, suggesting that immigrants brought like extremism and violence um, and stuff. Some of them, which were, were yeah. that he was forced to apologize. Yeah, but this has been something of a theme in recent Quebec yeah. politics as well, so it's not surprising that. He would like uh, the the Parti Québécois and the Bloc Québécois have been for some years, despite their supposedly centre-left leanings, which again they are existential nationalists first and foremost, have been basically taking quite stridently um, positions that could quite easily be construed as um, anti-Muslim in particular. Um, um, uh, trying to kind of force, force, basically trying to kind of create a certain kind of hardline secularism, not unlike France, of course. Um, but yes, um, obviously, um, yeah. So you can see that theme has been emerging within um, Quebec for a while. So mm -hmm. the fact that the CAG goes down that route isn't particularly surprising, but did tendencies and um bill what was it called now there's another bill bill 21 um mm. which um banned a lot of the wearing in public of lots of uh, kind of religious imagery and um headwear um mm. as well which obviously is very much modeled on french policy um um yeah but was was uh played a kind of a role in the last Canadian federal election as well, because uh, Trudeau kind of criticised this bill and the Bloc Quebecois at the federal level had um, had kind of come out to crusade against the federal government's kind of interference as they saw it in, um, in kind of provincial affairs um, on that. Um, but yeah, that was another kind of signature policy plank of the, um, of the, of the last uh, CAC government as well. Um, was this uh, was these two bills, the ninety six and twenty one, um, um, on that? Um, but yeah, although I mean, and the not too much else to say really about the um, about the campaign. I mean, um, that I think we've we've already said quite a lot about how the how the CAC has kind of positioned itself in yeah uh, in this in this one. Um, yeah, we should probably touch upon what's been going on with the PLQ briefly. Yes, um, yeah. the, the Liberals. Um, so the Liberals, um, you know, governed um, <laughs> Quebec um, for a really long time before the twenty eighteen election. They were in power. Um, what was it? Let me just double check my numbers for a second. They were in power from 2003 till 2018. So a good um, 15 year stretch in power. Yeah, yeah, 15 year stretch in power. So yeah, that's a long time by well, with, with a two year gap though. Oh yeah, so the two year gap, two year, there was a two year gap, but it, yes, even then, yeah. you know. 
um yeah so yeah they spent most of the last of the previous 15 years in power so they, they were looking fairly dominant at one point um um and but the funny thing is the the, the cac has kind of stolen their clothes to a certain extent i think it's probably fair to say um the liberal party fundamentally has been supported by most strongly supported by anglophones um but it's a party that um has tended to lean towards a kind of soft quebec nationalism it's not some kind of like uh, um anti-nationalist party or mm. anything like that it's center right but not too center right um it um you know it's um it's um uh, and now it's kind of left in this position where it doesn't know how to position itself so it, it picked up the um its last leadership election um the um a, a woman called dominique um Anglade, who um is um the first person of haitian descent to have been a cabinet minister in canada um she's um so obviously like that's an interesting kind of representative choice as well as you know uh, she was obviously picked for some talents that she was considered to have herself um but i think it's fair to say that she struggled um hasn't been taken terribly seriously um and um so yeah um so the party has kind of continued to struggle to define itself against against the cac and and whenever we're talking about an election victory you have to remember that um that there's always two sides to the story you don't always win you, you, you win in part because the party is popular but you also win because the party is unpopular <laughs> um yeah it, elections are relative um it's always about who is more popular than the other one not necessarily about who is the, you know who is popular in some kind of absolute terms <laughs> yeah yeah mm -hmm. uh, I, I was wondering if we could also touch on um just the kind of the figures around the disproportionality yeah. of votes versus seats assigned because it is quite striking yeah yeah well, yeah, I'm fine. Shall we do the results first and then talk about that? Yes. Oh, sorry, that's that's what I mean. Like, yeah, the results. <laughs> and then, yeah, votes, votes, votes versus seats. Yeah. So, Cat mm. got forty-one percent of the vote, which is a bit up from last time. Um, this mm. gave them ninety out of one hundred twenty-five seats. This is a pretty whopping kind of majority. Then the others yeah. got a similar share of the votes. So it's like fourteen point four for the Liberals, fifteen point four for Quebec Solidaire and 46 mm. for Party Quebec and then 13 for the Conservatives. But that gave the Liberals 21 seats, Quebec Solidaire 11 seats, just three for the Party Quebec, and then um, a, a solo Conservative. Um, is it solo or is it, uh, is it zero? Oh, zero now. Yes, sorry. I was uh, looking at some uh, an older version of the results. Yeah, mm. no, they, they got nothing. Um, yeah. But yeah, and the um, yeah, so this is extremely disproportional, um, not just in terms of the lead for the largest party, but because the even though the other three got basically the same share of the vote, they've got wildly different seat results and in the wrong order. Um, the liberals, mm. the liberals um, have one advantage over the other two in that they have in Montreal um, a very kind of consistent base of support um, mm. among the Anglophone population and among what they call the, the Allophone population, that's people who speak the one another language rather than, other than French or um, English. And they have, have maintained many of these seats um, in this in, in Montreal. Um, and, and this is yeah. actually striking that like the the, um, the CAC barely won any seats in Montreal at all. Um, it, it looks a yeah. really kind of red dot on the map when you look at it. Um, if you, yeah, if you look at the if you look at a map of the results, it's like literally just like Montreal is red, and then almost everywhere else is blue. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's. I mean, as we said before, 
really shocking, horrible result for both. I mean, mm. the Liberals and PQ, but obviously the Liberals can still sort of um, have have kind of got the consolation prize that they still have. 21 seats um, in the legislature, um, still the official opposition, whereas PQ3, I mean, this is a, it it really just caught between a rock and a hard place in many ways. I mean, it it has many of its kind of leftist supporters and some of its sovereignist supporters are now maybe more attracted by Quebec Solidaire and many of the kind of people who had voted for it because I guess it was a nationalist party rather than as a social democratic party are finding probably a more suitable home, I would guess, in the CAC. Um, mm. Many of these more sort of concerns. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is worth underlining the extent to which, like, the party also got itself into trouble in repeated years for, because mm. most of its activists fundamentally just want, want another independence referendum above all else. And mm. so you had to kind of, continuing like the one of the reasons why the liberals mm-hmm. governed for so long um was that the pq spent absolutely years in opposition trying to kind of come to a kind of consensual position within itself with with, with within itself and with the electorate on where a referendum should be held mm-hmm. um which it just couldn't do because the only times it did well was when it yeah, as I said, the only times it did well was when it emphasised its more kind of centre-left policy positions. Uh, for mm. instance, like 2008, we did terribly in the 2007 elections, and then they had another election in 2008 where it rebounded quite a lot because it, it refocused completely and did it on a kind of... Yeah, sort of and you can see a similar thing at... And you can see a similar thing at the federal level. The Bloc Québécois, when it was upset, when it was most obsessed with having an independent... When it was most obsessed with independence got almost absolutely wiped out. But when it's been a party that's been focused on kind of Quebec's interests at the federal level, it's been able to kind of rebound a bit. Mm. Um, and you know, the Bloc Québécois is now actually kind of becoming a bit closer to the CAC than to the PQ, mm. um, both, um, which I mean, it's logical given where things are. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I would say as well that, um, it, it's also worth noting that the Quebec Solidaire also has something of a, a a more efficiently distributed vote than some of the other parties as well. Not as efficiently distributed as the Party Liberal as the Liberals, but um, basically the Quebec Solidaire does very well in um, city centres. Um, it does quite well in uh, because um, it's supported by kind of like young Bohemian people who you know. Um, who tend to live in those kinds of areas, um, you know, the um, Quebec equivalents of your your Hackneys or um, whatever else you want to mention, um, or your Brooklyns, I guess. Um, so um, yeah, that's the kind of uh, so yeah they so hence although they have they haven't done as well as the liberals or, or as well as they should have done in percentage vote terms i think they have actually probably exceeded what you might expect a party on that kind of vote to get mm-hmm. when there's such a distance between it and the uh, and the cag <laughs> um, yeah yeah um, they won both seats in the center of uh, quebec city and then like a slew of them in montreal as well and yeah uh, kind of uh, uh smaller cities yeah very but yeah much more much more efficient than especially than the pq it's like got 15 40 15 percent of the vote but it's very very deconcentrated across the country um yeah yeah, yeah. It's not, just not yeah and basically just i think they've probably just won like the absolutely most extremely francophone um, um, seats, which um, probably very old. Um, I would imagine that's been kind of where their vote has been headed towards kind of quite elderly, extre- extremely francophone areas. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, whereas, yeah, again, I mentioned this earlier, but just worth saying again, the Conservatives seem to have a very spread out vote in Quebec, which on the one hand is not surprising because it's quite a new party, so it's not really had a chance to like focus itself into kind of specific demographics or areas yet. 
Um, and it also seems to be, um, I don't have a very strong sense of who voted for the Conservatives at this point, to be honest, but my sense has been that it's a party that, for example, has been like Britain has been appealing across the Anglophone, um, the Francophone divide and a couple of other divides in Quebec too. So, hmm. Definitely hugely disproportional uh, results. Mm. Yeah, no, I'd yeah. be, I'd be, I, I would be interesting to see what the Gallagher index score for this is. I imagine it's pretty bad. <laughs> um, so yeah. All right. Um, do we have something else to say about the the Quebecois elections before we wrap up? Well, I think I think I'm all Quebecked out. I don't know about you, Chris. No, I, I, I am. Um, it's been a good chat, but. Yes, I don't it have has, anything it has. else to add. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay, so thank you everyone for listening. Remember to rate us and subscribe. Leave a comment. Uh, also, I, yeah, and we'll be back with your, to your election nerd friends and also to the election not so nerd friends. Um, yeah, and we'll be back shortly with more of the elections that happened on that fateful Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> From fateful for many, many places, which we need to get through. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye, everyone.